Need an escape? A healthy escape? Come escape in the natural beauty of British Columbia, Canada with Explore BC Rentals. From RVs to sea dues, ATVs and more, Explore BC Rentals can get you set up to explore Canada's most stunning landscapes at your own pace. Book now at explorebcrentals.ca. It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. Great stocking stuffers for a great cause. Check out AttuneToTheMoon247.com, homeware, dishware, and more. With all proceeds going to support survivors of PTSD. Go to AttuneToTheMoon247.com, that's A-T-T-U-N-E, to the moon, 247.com for more. It's caller 15 and their story about addiction. Addicts in the dark. Hi there. Hi. So, you know how this goes. Oh, yeah. I was, I started listening to the podcast maybe a month ago, and I was like, damn, that's cool. And I'm like, oh, hell, I want to try. Well, I appreciate the phone call. A reminder, maximum of an hour. Don't mention any names. Yeah. Or any exact locations. Okay. All right. Tell me about your addiction. I don't know. Mine started a long time ago. Um, like tonsils get taken out. It's not as common anymore, but I got one taken out. And the doctors, for whatever reason, this might have been mid 2000s, like 2006, maybe. They gave me a 14 year old girl a whole bottle of codeine and uh, didn't give me any instructions or like safety use or, or just like the general guidelines when it causes addiction or constipation. So they're like, yeah, take it whenever you feel pain. So I did that. And I did that until probably grade 10. And I don't remember grade 10 because of it, but I didn't clue in what it was that I was doing. I just remember my legs would go numb on the bus. And then I kind of wake from a stupor by uh, noon or for lunchtime. Um, Sorry, just to clarify. It's okay. You were prescribed the codeine when you were a kid to get your tonsils out, and they kept prescribing them to you long after the operation? Oh, yeah. No, it was a whole bottle. I didn't have to be re-prescribed it. It was the same bottle from when I was a kid till grade 10. Okay. You weren't abusing the codeine until years after you got it. Oh, yeah. I used it a little bit when I first was healing, and then I stopped using it. My tonsils got healed up, and then a couple of years later, I was like, oh, this is like the Advil. This is like super Advil. So I take like two tablespoons every morning in grade 10. And um, throughout high school, um, I was already self-harming. I was already just like an emo, depressed kid. And um, then I realized, I was like, oh, now I'm getting, I'm gaining weight. Couldn't figure it out. So then I started abusing laxatives. Became a bulimic for years. Um, got off of the opioids. Um, so I remember when I got out of that world, I still had an eating disorder for a really long time, like probably about 10 years after that. But most of my life, especially in my 20s, early 20s, I was so, <laughs> I was so against like the general concept of drugs other than like drinking, having like a couple joints here and there. Didn't even want to get involved with shrooms, never wanted to try acid. I thought the idea of cocaine was terrifying. But um, 
Like I dated guys that were, were using some stuff, but nobody was really heavy into it. And, uh, and after I graduated my university degree, lo and behold, I couldn't find a job. So I became a stripper and, uh, first six months, it was actually pretty cool. I didn't even drink. I didn't do any drugs. Um, I kind of held my own. And then for whatever reason, I started drinking and then from there, it was really easy to get drugs, right? Like people would start asking me, oh, can you find Molly for my customer? Oh, do you know anybody that sells Coke? And I guess I just always knew somebody and I uh, started getting invited to the parties and in the city that I live in, there's a lot of connections to European drug groups and their kids like to hang out here. So those are all the kids that were going to the strip clubs at the time. Um, and I saw a lot of my friends become addicted to Xanax, become addicted to fentanyl even. And, um, some friends getting out of meth addictions into fentanyl addictions. So, I, I might have done acid once. I hated it. I might have done shrooms at that point. I hated it. But uh, then I had a boyfriend that was a cocaine addict, and him and I broke up. So I, it was just I couldn't get over it. So I started using um, to try to understand the disconnect he had with me. Um, so now, today I have been using cocaine almost daily for the past like four years. Um, which is so different than what I ever thought I would be doing. And I've been doing my master's recently, um, working the whole time. Um, but this addiction, like after opioids, after having eating disorders, this one is, is the worst one, I gotta say. Like, it's, it really does take over your life. Um, and very recently, actually, I was diagnosed with borderline personality. Uh, borderline personality two months ago. So, my most recent relationship ended poorly because I was trying to get off of the drugs. He was uh, still using them secretly behind my back. I would get mean, I'd get drunk, we'd get into a fight. Um, I ended up breaking my hand once this year, just punching the ground, I guess, in like a blackout. And then I did, I did attempt um, suicide, but apparently I don't really remember it, but I remember being in the hospital for it. Uh, and that was kind of like the end of the relationship, but it, it strung out so long, like maybe up until three, four months ago. And at that point I started going to cocaine anonymous. I was like, I'm done with this. I'm out of these people's lives. And then after he and I broke up, I realized there's all these other gentlemen in my city that like to push substances. For some reason, they just like to give it to me now. They just give it to me for free. So the past four months, I haven't purchased any drugs, which is great because it's kind of been ruining my finances. But now I'm I'm swimming in it. And it, it's what kind of that choice of like selling it to my friends, which I don't really want to do, using it on myself, which I don't want to do, or doing the same thing they're doing and pushing it off to someone else. And for some reason, it's so hard to say no. So at the end of the day, I am using pretty regularly still. And it, it's just like becoming this weird cycle. Um when I'm not talking to them, I don't reach out to them to ask for more. They'll just be like, hey, literally like spit on my face. And like, if you blow, I'm like, oh, fuck. Because uh, it's not just the drugs. They give me money. Whatever it is they see that they get from me, it's very minimal. And then they give me all this. So I don't know if they're just trying to get me hooked or whatever. But um, it's it's a weird power play, honestly. Like the one person in, in particular, they like, hey, <laughs> I have a bunch of stuff for you and literally hand me $300 and 
hand me 30 Xanax, hand me a ball of Coke, and then just be like, spit on my face. And then I will, and I'll drive away. And that's happened like three times now. And I'm kind of like, fuck is this person? What is it? You know, (laughs) I've never experienced, I've been a stripper for years. I've had some weird arrangements. Stuff happens. You get good clients, you get bad clients. But this is just some guy. This is just some low-grade drug dealer. And I don't know what his motives are. Um, I've noticed they started drinking more, and I'm not a drinker. I never really liked drinking. So if I'm way too high, I'll have to go out to a bar, find a couple drinks. Or I'll find the Xanax, which I know is, like, the worst combination. Um, Put ups and downs together. Or I'll eat a lot of candy, you know, and then that kind of amplifies the eating disorder again, right? So then if I eat too much candy to kind of get over the the rush of or the, the lack of the rush of the Coke, uh, then I'm miserable about gaining weight. And then I go back to cocaine so I can lose weight again. Um, and I don't know what it is, if it is me as a young adult having been abused or if there was something else in my youth that I, I couldn't recognize as a kid. You said at one point that you had been going to Cocaine Anonymous. Yeah. Even now, while you're still actively using, are you still going to the meetings? I've gone to a couple meetings, and I do technically have contacts for sponsors. Um, the one day when I tried to kill myself, well, like last year, they did find cocaine in my system, obviously. So they, they were like, well, we're going to give you all the resources and stuff. But the only one they had was the CA group in my city. So I went to that and like, they're good people. and They still contact me every day. still trying to get me to go to the meetings. And I just, I, it's, it's that guilt thing, I think, cause I'm still in my head, like an upstanding person still doing all the things I'm supposed to do. But now I, I fell from grace again cause I was sober for a little bit after the breakup and then it just got way too easy to start using. But the thing is I have a great family and I know if I go to my parents, they'll be disappointed. Um, so it's a big part for me right now is not being able to go get medical rehab because of that shame of it with my parents. And then also being, well, I, I feel like I don't have time to give to that part of my house. Are you able to talk a little bit more about the suicide attempt? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that was that relationship I was in where I was just begging him to stop doing it so much or stop having parties and we, we would just be constant and I would be like trying to work trying to sleep trying to do this or that um so one night him and I were fighting we were alone in my house we were just fighting and I must have been drinking we must have been on coke who knows what else and I guess like, I got into the bathtub with a knife and he didn't he, he didn't know how to deal with it so he called cops because I was just like well I'm going to die. I'm going to die. But this is obviously like a a call for help kind of thing. Um, And unfortunately, like I like him and I stayed together after that, but I was, I began cheating on him. So whatever escape, whatever release I could have for the control that I didn't have in the relationship I took. So that suicide attempt, thankfully um, nothing happened. I didn't hurt myself at all. I didn't hurt anybody else. But through that, I got my diagnosis. So now I have therapists, now I have medication, um, I'm in school, so I'll have like the benefits for it all. Um, and I actually have the diagnosis enough so that I can get resources because for years 
I, I had no resources and all my relationships were failing because I'd have these borderline episodes. And through, like, I'm also learning how the drugs don't really help those episodes specifically. So I think the more I educate myself, um, the better. But the actual suicide attempt, like, I've self-harmed since then. And I felt worse since then. So I know now that that was, that was a cry for help. But um, there, there is always something. Like, I'm just trying to destroy myself. And I don't know what it is. And right now, no meetings, no sponsor, but you did mention therapists. Yeah. Does your therapist know about the fact that you're still using? Yeah, it's difficult right now because I'm just using like a tech service for a therapist on my phone and with the school. But I did have a counselor and the counselor I did have knew. Um, but the thing with counselors, they can't guide you. They can just ask the questions. They can just try to see if you can explain it to yourself. So I don't have anything other than my actual psychiatrist being aware of it. So he just makes sure I'm not on medications that would kill me if I did happen to take a line or two. But no, I don't think no, I don't think anybody knows to the extent that I'm in right now. So you said you come from a great family. You have a large social circle, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. It's, it's often people such as yourself who are most likely to care about the optics of their addiction, which prevents them from seeking help. And on top of it, you're in school. You're getting your master's. So what do you study in school? Political science. So I have friends in my program that are doing projects on the fentanyl epidemic. So the idea of having people in my city that are addicted to that specifically and seek it out. But... I do see the difference from like how privileged I am and I just kind of grossed out. I'm grossed out by how privileged I am having free drugs and money given to me and then I'm just doing them alone. Like and I choose to do them alone. And I just, it feels wrong to me. And I think that's now I'm really like, Hey, can I be done with this now? It's, um, it's not, it's not fun. Like it isn't fun. I don't think I even get high anymore. And I did cut everybody out for a while, about six months ago. Um, I stopped talking to that whole group of friends and then I still have my other contacts and the other like groups like I have like four or five lives it, it seems um sometimes and they don't ever really intersect so I don't know how isolated I would be if I cut out a majority of it right I wonder if because some addictions a lot of addictions can be a symptom of another underlying mental health condition and maybe for you that might be the borderline personality disorder Oh, for sure. It, it was a relief at first being told I didn't have bipolar. And then as I kind of understood what borderline is, I kind of was like, I, prefer, I would prefer to have bipolar because minute to minute, hour to hour, I'm switching moods. Like, that there is no consistency. Yesterday, somebody hacked my Instagram account. And now I'm over it. But when it first happened, I had a presentation to do in the morning. Um, did the presentation, found out somebody stole my account, couldn't focus on the rest of the class, was really upset, was really angry, then I was really sad. And then, like, maybe by, like, it started at 10 a.m., maybe by, like, 2.30, 3 p.m., I started just laughing about it and, and was, like, almost joyous. And I'm like, I'm free. I'm free of that old stinky account. So I could really see that, um, the flipping. So that that's, now that I'm seeing it, like, I don't know how long other people have seen it and, and I'm getting to understand why a lot of my 
close relationships failed because I wasn't ever consistent. And with all this said, I could be way off base here and tell me if I am, obviously. But given you said that you want to put a stop to this addiction, and it, it sounds like you do want to put a stop to this addiction, at the same time, I, I kind of get the vibe that ever since the, the suicide attempt, that you haven't found yourself in a place of absolute desperation or, or what some might call a rock bottom. No. No, I haven't. And I remember years ago, it might have been while I was using cocaine or even before, I always had that fear that I would have that rock bottom moment, that I wouldn't have my car, that I wouldn't have my house, that I wouldn't have my cat. Um, like my parents aren't affluent by any means, but they're smart. They're smart with their money. And they they bought this house to put me in so they didn't have to live with me anymore. And like, I didn't take that as an insult and I won't take that as an insult, especially now that I see what I'd like to live with. So now I have I have a room of my own. Like I don't know if anybody's ever read, read, read uh, Virginia Woolf's room of one own one's own. But basically, the idea is a woman needs a room of her own and an income of a certain amount a month in order to thrive creatively, um, spiritually, and all the other stuff. I've had that for ten years, and I'm hoping that I'm at the point that I, I've experimented with this drug enough that I can just let it go. Now that I'm diagnosed, I'm really hoping I can stick with an actual therapist that I like, stick with a proper medication plan, um, finish this degree, flip this house, move. Like I have a plan. I'm not really the suicidal person I was even three, four weeks ago. Um, but the, the mood swings definitely don't help with the cravings. Like it could be, I could be fine all day. I don't want to do it. My nose hurts. I don't want to do it. I have no money. That person's not answering me or I'm not getting anything free right now. And then something could happen and I'll be like, at all costs, I'm going to get a bag tonight. And no matter what. And that's like, I am set on it. And I do. And I get it. And it doesn't fix any of it. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't help in any way. Um, but for whatever reason, in my head, it's, well, that's what I need right now to get over whatever just pissed me off. So, so I don't, I, it's not even like the other drugs where you have to wean yourself off. I know for a fact that you just stop taking it and it gets out of your system. And then the rest of it's psychological. So once I do that and I've done it, like I've gone two, three weeks before, and I feel great. So right now, my biggest goal, I guess this week is to not pick up any um, I don't remember the last time I had been given anything, but it was probably a week ago. Um, so right now I'm trying not to have anything in my hands or in my house or in my nose and to actually get to a meeting. Um, so I think for me, now that I have the realization that I do kind of have to shit on my ego for a minute and I do have to just sit down and say, no, I need help. There was a reason why I went for help first. I'm not better than that. I'm still not better. Um, but really just letting yourself sit with people that know exactly where you're at. I've, I've had a meeting with people in their fifties, people in their thirties, people with kids, without kids. And the stories we were able to tell, uh, we realized we're funny without the drugs. We're really interesting people without the drugs and we're not going to judge each other because we've been there. We've been there scraping it up. We've been there doing whatever to get whatever. 
so right now for me, that's what I have to remind myself of. And if anybody has somebody they see is suffering, um, you obviously don't want to enable them. <laughs> and I'm trying not to be enabled anymore. But I guess just to let them know everybody has that story, even if it's not a conscious drug use story. We all fuck up. We all fuck up all the time. Um, I'm just trying to avoid causing more pain for others because I'm already in pain. Every moment is like a waking nightmare. And to add to that, it sounds like you don't have many people you can confide in when it comes to your addiction. Yeah. And because you can't talk about it much, how did it feel to tell your story today? Really good. I'm really glad I did this. And I think that's why I was so happy to see that you had this project. Um, I was, I was almost like kind of double take, like, no way, somebody's doing this. That's so smart. Um, and I'm excited to see all the different stories that come out of it because they're, they've been so varying. They've been so different. And even if it's been the same drug or same similar background, the reasoning, the emotions are all unique, but they're all so shareable. So if anything, if I can be a voice for somebody in my situation that's in school that might think, you know, I'll get over it one day. Maybe you will. I haven't. I hope I do. But no, thank you for for having this platform. You said it right there. All the stories are so different, but at the same time, in some ways, very much the same. It doesn't matter whether the addiction is shopping or cocaine. For all of us, our addictions are the result of a need to escape what we're feeling. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. Yeah, I know I've been an addict since I was 14. I can say that, honestly, because I started using a substance to disassociate myself from whatever reality I didn't like. And I've continued on till now I'm 28, almost 29. Um, and now I'm smart enough to know I'm worried that I'm going to get on Xanax next or I'm worried that I'm going to start smoking crack yet next. Because like I've known nurses that are addicted to meth. Like, there is no drug out there that nobody is too good for <laughs> like the, 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 that whole concept to me now has broken. Like, yeah, cocaine's expensive. It's like the white man's drug, but people are going to use something to, to, to stop the pain. Right. So whatever pain we're in, it might be different, but we are sharing the pain. So thank you, Nick. This is actually really good. I feel like my day is going to get better. Enablement is often viewed as detrimental to an addict. This caller finds herself completely enabled. Although consider that enablement actually fosters social connectedness rather than force isolation. It instills acceptance rather than intolerance and it benefits self-worth rather than bring on shame. And of course, no amount of enabling will ever fix or cure the disease of addiction. Part of the cure is connectedness acceptance, and self-worth. So maybe enabling isn't as futile as we think. I'm Quick Nick. Thanks for listening. If you want to anonymously tell your story about addiction, find Addicts in the Dark on Instagram.